Thanks be to God. Will you join the choir in standing for just a moment as we honor the gospel of Jesus with one more verse of scripture. This one coming from John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus has just been presented by Andrew and Philip with the truth that people from other nations now come to seek him, and he knows that this will be the hour by which he is glorified, that is, crucified. Then he makes this statement. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. This is my 20th Easter sermon for Highland Baptist Church. Someone asked me, is it hard to write an Easter sermon after saying it for 20 times? I mean, what else is there to say? My answer is, oh no, it's actually more fun but more complicated. I've probably written six sermons this week, no kidding, uh, coming to where I am today. And I'm only going to give one of them, you'll be glad to know. I hope it will be enough. Let's pray together. There's no way to write a sermon, God, that explains this great mystery. Instead, may we listen and look for your spirit to breathe resurrection breath into our dead bones and bring us to life ever anew. Thank you for this day. For people all around the country, all around the world, who this day are speaking to the mystery of life and love and light and hope. If ever our world needed to hear and experience a message of harmony and unity, a beauty and blessing, today is such a day. So on this Easter 2016, speak to your church yet again and form us into your people even as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his first disciples to pray, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you've been with us here at Highland over any of the Lenten Sundays, you know that we've been using a theme about surveying the wondrous cross, which is a line from Isaac Watts's 300-plus-year-old hymn, by that title, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. We actually had a crucifix in the choir loft, uh, uh, hanging from above the choir loft, as a visual reminder of Jesus and the cross. 
to survey the cross carefully causes one, I think, at some point to recognize what is most obviously true about the cross, and that is that this symbol of our Christian faith is actually an execution tool. Like the electric chair, like the hanging noose that was upon what they called the lynching tree back in Jim Crow America, where some 5,000 people were lynched. The cross, an execution tool. Usually we ignore this. We don't think about this. We adorn it with flowers. We turn it into gold jewelry and wear it around our necks or We take chocolate and form it into a cross and put it in our children's Easter baskets. What an odd symbol for a religion, for any organization, to have as its symbol something that represents torture and execution. That's odd. I thought the University of Texas symbol was odd. It's a longhorn, as you may know. After the game... Many of the Longhorn fans go out and eat barbecue. I mean, what school regularly eats its mascot? Tell me another school that eats its mascot. And what religion chooses execution tools, crosses, as their symbol of faith? And yet, as we've talked as a community of faith, we've realized that the cross, the execution tool, is the perfect symbol for the community of Jesus You may not know it by looking at all the pageantry here this morning, but really, it's who we are. We say, by our faith, that Jesus' embodied abundant love is the way, the truth, and the life. We remember Jesus as we look at the cross. We know that he came in abundance and in love, and he faced the promoters of scarcity And as a result, they killed him. They executed him publicly. We never forget this. But the cross is more than just about Jesus alone. We've called Jesus' cross an archetype of all of the world's suffering. The choir just sang the anthem. Those hands of liberal love, indeed in infinite degree, those feet still frank to move and bleed for millions and for me. The cross is about All suffering, the world's suffering, your suffering, physically, emotionally, biologically, relationally, politically. We think of all the suffering in the world. We think of the scourge of terrorism in the world. What's happened in Belgium and in Paris. We also recognize the racism in the world, unintended racism, that causes people like you and me in the Western world to notice the terrorism in Belgium and in Paris, but to not notice it in, on the Ivory Coast when terrorists strike there as well or in Iraq or other, the other seven places where terrorism struck in the month of March alone. Terrorism, racism, the suffering of all those who are powerless and voiceless, whose lives get reduced to a political football to be tossed back and forth. The poor, women, the LGBT community. We recognize in all of them, in all of the victims, the pain that's there. And those of us who are in solidarity 
recognize our own pain with them in bearing their burden. And we even recognize the pain of the perpetrators, the accusers, the violent. For they too are children of God who likely have been victims of their own terror and abuse. We looked at that cross with Jesus hanging and we said, he bears it all. All the sin, all the suffering of all the world. And that in his bearing it, God is with us. In other words, our suffering is not pointless. It is part of a much larger story that connects Jesus' cross and the injustice that's done to all the poor and all of the powerless even when we recognize that this truth pinches our Western American privileges, still we know it's true. He's right. God is present. But that's not all. We recognize that the cross, your cross, my cross, that place in your life that is the point of your most vulnerableness, that very point can become the portal of grace, of insight, of awakening, of connecting the pieces of life together so that you see life more clearly. Leonard Cohen, the great songwriter, says there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's in our places of brokenness that truth, God, light breaks in and allows us to see and be, dare I say it, born again. Born again. The seed returns to the earth. If it stands alone, it's just one grain of wheat. But if it dies, Jesus said, and here's Good Friday, if it dies, and here comes Easter, it bears much fruit. If it dies, it bears much fruit. The dead seed returns to life again by God, its resurrection, and it bears much fruit. There's abundance. There's enough for everyone so that we can feed and bless and heal and restore and include and harmonize with all of creation in God. If the cross is the archetype of all suffering, not just Jesus' suffering, but all suffering, then Easter is the same thing. Easter is the archetype of all hopefulness. Jesus crucified, dead, risen again from the grave, is the archetype of all hopefulness, not just his, but all of life. Even our crosses get resurrected. See what I mean? Even our crosses, those places that are shameful, those places that hurt us, they get redeemed because they become the places where we see and awaken to God. Not even our pain, not even our cross is left out. Well, I've said a lot already. But what does resurrection actually look like? 
I'd love to provide a video of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Wouldn't that be great? We could just see it. Although the truth of the matter is, as recent uh, news coverage has shown us, even when you see something on video, you don't necessarily believe it or interpret it accurately. So, we don't have a video. What do we have? Well, sometimes dead things rise. Sometimes, literally, I, I don't know. It's a great mystery. But I've seen dead countries come back to life. South Africa. I've seen dead people come back to life. Dewan Nathaniel, among others. Sometimes it's dramatic. And we can celebrate to it. And point to it and say, look, resurrection done. Nailed it. But other times resurrection comes much more slowly and subtly. When we're awakened by our suffering or our solidarity with the suffering of others, something happens. Something that perhaps wouldn't be noticed or named. It doesn't fit into the lyrics of a hymn. But it's resurrection. This week as our family got ready to have Easter service here and then lunch with family and visiting with family afterwards, I got to visit with my niece, Denise, who's actually here in our service with us. Denise and Tony live in Indiana. They have two sons, Noah and Jacob. Noah's a big strapping kid. He's a basketball star in Indiana, which means something. He's a great kid. He's fun, he's happy, he's polite, he's handsome. Jacob's also a beautiful child. Big, tall, strapping kid. But Jacob was born with a severe form of autism. Unless you're with him for a very long time, you do not know how to communicate with Jacob. It's difficult. Life with Jacob has been very difficult, but Tony and Denise and Noah loved Jacob unconditionally, and he was very much the center of their family. They loved him deeply and cared for him for many, many years. But ultimately, they came to the hard realization that an agency would probably be better to help meet Jacob's every need than they were, were as a family. And I have to tell you, it was kind of a death. It was hard, very hard. They visit him every week. Jacob is always glad to see them because they bring a bag of food with them that, that, that he likes. He loves that. He loves seeing his family. But the goodbyes are hard. He becomes combative. He covers his ears. He doesn't want to hear it. But Denise has taken to putting Jacob's face in her hands and speaking resurrection to him. Jacob, she said, we're going to do something with this. We're going to make something good of this. We're going to help others because of what we're going through. We're not going to waste this. And Jacob understands. He's able to separate from them with peace. He's calm and peaceful as they leave. And Tony and Denise are 
calm and peaceful as they leave because they've got peace in their heart and they've got purpose for their lives. Now, I realize that's not an official religious story. It didn't have any these and thous in it. It wasn't impressive like Easter. It wasn't supernatural. There weren't men in robes standing around talking. There wasn't a rolled-away stone. And yet, Denise and Tony, in their suffering, see more. They see more. They, they have the energy to rise and return and bear love again. Their empathy for their son, for the underdog, and their suffering connects them not just to Jacob, but to all the world. And that is resurrection. The dead see and they bear much fruit. There's abundance in the world. That life is good. In the midst of suffering, life can be good. But resurrection can come in other forms. It can take other angles, if you will. I also had the opportunity to speak to my older niece, Leslie. Leslie's just three years younger than I am, so she's kind of old. We grew up like siblings almost, we were like, or at, least, at the very least, very close cousins. We're both from Dayton, Ohio, and now we're both in Kentucky, me in Louisville, and her in Paintlick, which is outside of Berea. Leslie's younger daughter began to struggle with drugs in high school. It's epidemic in that area. Her first baby was born five years ago. She was in a rehab center. Her second child was born six months ago. The rehab center's work didn't last very long. She's relapsed. She's now arrested and in jail, facing a felony charge. Leslie and husband Jeff are in deep grief. They're exhausted. It has been a long struggle, a long time. They've lost the capacity to trust or even to have hope anymore. Les said to me, I can hear my voice. My voice is cold when I talk to her. And it's no surprise, for something has died. She's utterly powerless. But here's what Leslie can do. She and Jeff can open their empty nest home and raise that five-year-old and that six-month-old. She said it's more common than you realize. She said, and, and, and here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. She's doing it with joy. She's doing it with joy. She said, I hear grandparents say, you shouldn't be raising your grandkids. You should have an empty nest. But I throw out all the shoulds and woulds and coulds, and I live the life that's right in front of me to give these kids a loving and safe home. Of course, I hope our daughter gets better. I'd do anything for her. I hope someday she can raise her children. But in the meantime, I'm going to love these kids, and I'm enjoying it. You may say to yourself, well, that's not an appropriate Easter story. But maybe that's what resurrection and life from death looks like in Paint Lake, Kentucky. Is that enough? 
Leslie has a son who's also an addict. And by the way, I can tell these family stories because this is just life. Yes, it involves some poor choices, but you show me the family that doesn't have poor choices as part of their family story. It's every one of our stories. Corey's been in and out of rehab. He's been in jail, he's been in rehab, he's been in, he's been out. He also has a son, and my niece Leslie keeps him on weekend, on weekends. She says he's the Tasmanian devil. She loves him to death. She reports that now Corey is in a, another program. He's sober. He's in church. He has a job. He's staying away from paint lick. And maybe that's all he can handle. And Leslie says, that's okay. I've altered my expectation, expectation in my attitude about success. For some people in their families, success for their children will mean college and graduate school and a great life. And that's wonderful. That's what they should do. Anything less for them would be failure. But for Corey, she said, Because of the events and choices of his life, Easter for him may mean moving from being dead to having a job, staying sober, being a good father, loving life. For Les, my niece, that's an occasion for joy and hope and deep satisfaction. It's not a one-and-done resurrection. There are raggedy stories in every family about suffering. There are scars that still remain. When the risen Christ came back, he still bore the scars. And you know what? Sometimes the scars hurt. And for some people, there are relapses. And most of us in our lives would much prefer to just avoid these stories. To just put them somewhere else and enjoy Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and candy. Ilya Delio says we hermetically seal ourselves off from the undesired other or strange person, but in doing so, we seal ourselves off from God. For when we reject God in the neighbor, we're actually rejecting the love that can heal us and raise us and cause life to come through death. For God is in the business of turning scars into crowns, for the brutal to be made beautiful, for suffering to be redeemed. Even the cross, even the cross gets redeemed. Can you believe it? Can you live it? Within your own life, within the systems of scarcity that we live in, can we believe that the seed that falls into the ground dies, that there's suffering and death? But those who will trust, those who will go with God, rise again and bear abundant fruit. Resurrection. God is not done.
Glory to God. And all God's people say, amen. Let's pray together. Risen Christ, you are the first fruits of the power of love and life, the power of God to raise the dead. We need resurrection in our world this day. So as we sing and practice the faith on this Easter morning in such a beautiful and profound way, may it penetrate and shape the DNA of our lives so that we leave this place as resurrection people. To your glory now and forever. Amen.